you said it earlier, I make about 20 angel deals a year. So I, you know, and then I coach the founders for about a year after I'm invested. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm looking at over a hundred potential investments every month and I'm working with portfolio companies and Welcome everybody to the strategy show. I'm Simon Severino, your host. And today with us, somebody who makes 10 to 20 investments per year. He's the CEO of Angel Invest in Berlin, former managing director of Techstars, PhD in biotechnology from Cambridge. Welcome everybody, Jens Lapinski. Thanks for having me. So cool to have you here. And you have wrote a ton of valuable insights. We will talk about why fear eats our soul. What you do is more important than how well you do it. And whom you do business with is more important than the terms and contracts that you work in. So super excited. Jens, tell us a little bit. How is life in Berlin right now? It's great. I'm having a lot of fun. I'm having a lot of work as well, but um, you know we're getting a bit more lockdown. The weather is getting darker and darker, as you can maybe see outside. But you know, on the work side, it's certainly it's a great fun for me right now. What's currently on your plate? Um, well, I, you know, I, you said it earlier. I make about twenty angel deals a year. So I, you know, and then I coach the founders for about a year after I'm invested. And you know, on the one hand, I'm looking at over a hundred potential investments every month and I'm working with portfolio companies and help them you know with with the, the things that they need to get done and with fundraising and so forth so that's that's sort of what's on my plate and it, it in principle it never changes but obviously the companies the individual situations that found us in is always slightly different so when you get these hundreds of pitches via email or I don't know socials What's your first scan? How do you pick the few that you will talk with? Yeah, so what I do is I typically look at a pitch deck and I scan it, speed read it for, for a couple of minutes and then I decide immediately after that whether I, I'm, I will have a one-hour video call with the founders. And what I look for, you know, I have this heuristic in my, in my mind where, I, you know, I look for things that I haven't seen before where founders are super ambitious and want to build something that's really big and maybe something is already working a little. And I really look for those three things. And everything that looks like that, I, I, you know, I pretty much talk to. So I, I, every month I talk to in between 15 to 40 teams uh, for an hour. And then you know, after that, I, I try to get back quickly, depending on the workload that doesn't always work. But um, um, you know, and, and then with about four or five every month, I go deeper and then I make one to two offers every month. And this is interesting because you look for the things that are most new so that you understand the least. Because we yeah. had so many different approaches on the show. And yeah. the, most people go with the Warren Buffett approach. I go with what I understand and what I know and yeah. I go in term. You go high risk, high disruption. Yeah. Uh, so what, what's the what's the volume that you go for? How do you manage the risk? Um, I mean, yeah, I make about 20 investments a year. Um, so that, that's sort of the volume. I um, Because that's sort of the number of, of teams that I can comfortably coach. 
right? So let's let's see if I if I did forty or fifty, it, it, it I couldn't spend enough time with everyone. I mean, but it's really if you think about it, most of the really interesting companies that have been built over the over the decades, over the last one or five decades or so, as long as we've been in the IT paradigm, have basically been companies that did something either that was nobody had done it before, or they just did it so significantly better than the few startups that had come in the years prior that they it was like a like a standalone category yeah? and they became category leaders so if i say um you know i've already seen 15 companies like that they have all been funded and this is now the 16th company i mean this might be an okay company but is it really going to be the company that sets the world on fire yeah and and it's just increasingly unlikely the more companies there are competing for the same customers with a very similar product so I would much rather say, okay, there is something that I haven't seen before. And, you know, the team has got an extraordinarily deep understanding of the problem space. They really, really understand their customers. They figured something out that nobody else has seen. And they built something where first customers are saying, wow, that is incredible. I love it. You know, so in, and I don't care what industry it's in or who these founders are or, or where they're from or where they are, even as long as they're somewhere in Europe. Um, I, I just want them to have figured something out that nobody else has figured out. That's sort of the, the most important thing that I'm looking for. Yeah? And I'm, I'm completely agnostic as to industry um, or, or business model. I, I just, that, that's really my, my primary, my, my, my primary heuristic. And the, the other thing to understand is I've now in my life looked at over 10,000 startups and I've done over a thousand video interviews with founders. And that's sort of what I'm what I'm looking against, right? So I'm saying, well, I've seen all of those things. This is completely different, and that that's really what what excites me. And how much do you consider the team? What you look at the person, the founder, the founding team? Yeah. How do you evaluate that part? Yeah, well, at Techstars, we always said it was team, 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 and I still have the similar heuristic. I look for, I look for. Uh, typically, I, I spend most of my time talking to the CEO because that's kind of how it works when they're fundraising. Um, so I look at them. Um, I look for extreme energy, high intelligence. Can they listen? Can they really listen to customers? Can they listen to me? Can they listen to other people? Can they really, can they change their mind? Do they have enough EQ to actually think themselves into other people and into customers? Do they have a strong nose for money? Can they figure out where the, where the dollars are you know, or the euros or whatnot? Um, then on the on the team side, I really look for, on one hand, tightness. That's extremely important to me. Have these that has that team worked together before in this company or in a different company? How long have they been working together? Is it a really are they bonded? Yeah, I I I've, I've in, in a few years ago I used to invest maybe not so I, I didn't pay that much attention towards that, and I ended up being invested in quite a few team where the founders were fighting amongst each other and I, I've lost the will to be involved in these kind of situations. You know, so I tried to screen them out and I've become much better at that over the time. And then the third thing is completeness. Do they have amongst the founding team or the amongst the early, it doesn't have to be in, in, the, I mean in, in the initial team that they have, whether it's founders or not, all the necessary components to get product to market? Or are there big glaring holes somewhere? Right. And then we maybe later you, you will ask me one of these questions around what I changed my mind about. And there's one team element that I changed my mind about, but I, I'll keep that for later.
I love guests that know the questions already. And uh, I have, but I have one which is so uh, burning for me because we have a similar way of working. You expect numbers in very short cycles of work and you want numeric progress. So you're, you are a sprinter as we, as we say, because we want three numbers every seven days and they are around how happy is the customer. So it's an NPS if they are more mature or is at least a number of uh, user conversations and user insights per week. But we want also the revenue, how many new orders came in if they are very early and just the weekly revenue added if they are mature. And, and they can pick and choose a third one. And what happens in the accelerator is af after a couple of weeks, so uh, we have always to decide, do we take them in our accelerator? Will they be capable of delivering numbers every week? Will yeah. they be willing and capable? And everybody says at the beginning, yes, we are willing, of course. But then after a couple of weeks, you see, well, we don't have the numbers. The CRM system gives our the, the numbers monthly, all these excuses. And so I, you have so you have done so many interviews. How do you scan the team f before you invest in them into their actual execution uh, and, and 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 transparency and numerical ability? <laughs> I can't give all of my tricks away, <laughs> <laughs> but it's um, you can ask simple questions, right? Like. How much revenue did you generate last month? Right. Good CEOs know the number exactly. I mean, it's like that. They just know it was $5,312.50. And they don't have to think about it. They don't have to look it up. They just know. When I asked them, what was your cost base last month? They know. They know the numbers, right? So got to know your numbers. When I asked, what was the customer acquisition cost? They know. What's the average basket size last month? They know. They're in the numbers, right? And they're quite the more detail-oriented founders are around that, the better. You know, I've the worst is is people say, Oh, I have absolutely no idea how much I spent last month. Okay. How are you gonna look after my money? <laughs> so it's it's a pretty you can ask pretty simple questions and, and, and you will get a relatively quick steer or you know how people think. And you know, I mean I invest in many companies that don't have revenue, so I I am not Revenue for me is not necessary to to write a check, but it's um, it's more the the way I'm more looking how founders think about their customers. Do they how they how do they talk about them? What do they know about them? How many have they talked to? What are their notes, conclusions, and so forth? And you can find all of that out in five to ten minutes of talking to a founder. It's not particularly. All you need to do is ask who exactly are your customers, explain to me the, the problem they have, what's your value proposition for them, what does your product look like, how does your product deliver the value proposition, how are you getting your product to market, right? And, and good founders can articulate all of that with great mental clarity. And that's that's one of the things that I look for. Let's talk fear. Your first CEO tip is that fear eats our soul. But right now we are all in, in a fearful, in a risky environment and fear could come up. How to deal yeah. with that? I, so it's, it's one of the pieces of advice that I give to founders is don't be afraid. Uh, fear eats the soul. And there is, I see this amongst some founders and amongst some teams, people are so worried about that they're going to do something wrong. They literally freeze up. And they become so 
you know, they're literally paralyzed by fear. And then all sorts of really bad things start to set in very, very quickly that you don't want. And um, it can really ruin companies. It can ruin people. It's And it's completely unnecessary. And the, the reason for that is typically that the founders take, they, they have to, they develop this belief that it's all on them to be an amazing CEO. Yeah. Typically, or an amazing CTO or, or an amazing CMO or whatever they are. And that they feel now that they've taken other people's money, they, they now have to deliver everything that they have promised exactly like it was promised. And everything that they don't do right is a sign of weakness or a sign of failure. And then they become so so tight and so cramped up. Then and then they start to hide bad things, and and it becomes, you know, these companies always underperform, and it's completely unnecessary because, you know, if you think about it, when you're born, you know nothing. Everything needs to be learned. You need to learn and understand everything in life. So if you don't know how to do something, or you know, to say I have no clue how to do it, how how can I figure it out? Talk me through it, and your investors will be super happy to help. Yeah, or all good investors would be very happy to help. Um, and and that is how you make really rapid progress. So the fear of looking bad is one of the biggest impediments of um, of founder success, I find. Yeah, so I try to, to provide a safe environment where founders feel they can talk to me about these things because I think it's incredibly important. Do you want to make your sales more repeatable and reliable? Do you want to have less volatility and more growth in your revenue per month? At Strategy Sprints, we do only one thing, strategy and sprints. Strategy means having more revenue through a better offer. And sprints means having more energy in your team every week. Check out if your ROI is as high as it is for most service-based and online businesses and startups we work with which is over 100%. You can see it in just 15 minutes by going to strategysprints.com slash sales and completing our online exercise to know what your ROI would be with our accelerator program. We are ready to sprint. Are you? Watching my kids, I, I realized in recently that even things like walking or speaking that we take for granted and that are highly complex skills yeah they take years and we start with nothing and it's yeah. just one test after the other many many tests per minute and most fail because they they really they, they fall down and they stand up again and uh, and i was watching it and said wow it's years of disciplined testing and uh, retesting and retesting and retesting. That's how we learn. Yeah. And it's the same being in any position at work that you'll ever be in. You have to learn how to do it. And if you think it's all on you to self-teach yourself, that will typically just lead to failure. Or it's just unnecessary. There's so many people who've been there before, who've seen the movie before, who can help you do it much more quickly. So why not just open up, be vulnerable, and accept that you don't have to know it, you don't have to be right about something, you can just learn it from other people. It's, just, it's a much quicker, safer path towards success for sure. Your second CEO tip is super interesting because I usually think it the, the opposite way. You say what you do is more important than how well you do it. Yeah. Can you unpack it? So 
if you're doing the wrong thing, it doesn't matter how well you do it. Yeah, you can optimize a broken company to the nth extent, it's not gonna happen. Um, but if you start with something where you are on the right track, you know, oh, there is a big problem. Nobody else has spotted it or has actually understood how to think about it. And I've, I've had the insight, I've seen the light. Yeah, and then I, you know, have first version of the product and I know the product is really bad. Yeah, but then I can improve on the product. But if the initial fundamental premise is correct, yeah, then you can improve over time how you deliver it and how you do it. You know, you start being a CEO the first day when you're a CEO and let's just say you're doing it in the, with the right co-founders and you have a good idea, right? You will be a terrible CEO in all probability. Yeah, you have to learn over years how to be a good CEO. So, um, you know, but if you work on the wrong things or on with the wrong team, it doesn't matter what you do around how good you become as a CEO, it's going to be super difficult to correct any of that. So what I mean with what I meant with that statement is that I find if you if you have the right concept of what you're doing and you do it together with the right people, you can work through most other problems over time and improve yourself and improve how you what you do exactly, how you're working together as a team and how the whole you know how the whole thing unfolds. But if if the initial thing is broken, it's it's super super difficult. Then you're actually better off to to stop that do something else, get the fundamentals right, and then start improving from there. Something that you just said uh, touches me. You said, I, I saw the light. And this reminded me of, of myself when we found it. I, I had the feeling, hey, I am seeing something that is right here in front of everybody. Just the, the others, they don't want to look at it, but I am seeing it. So I have to take action. And that makes you really lonesome and also a little bit strange. Yeah. So, and, and, and if you see founders in the first year, they are the crazy guys, right? Yeah. How, how, how many years we heard Elon is crazy, don't take him seriously. And, um, but, but oh, I guess you see every week people where you could, you could tell them they have seen the light, but you don't know. You, in five years, in 10 years, we will know. Right. Yeah. How, how do you handle that twilight zone? Yeah, I think the way I think about it is I think about it even more explicitly than that. I I I, expli I mean I really look for people who look at the world really differently. Yeah, I mean I think in so far in in, in angel invest we've invested I think sixty two percent of the companies we've invested in have at least one minority founder. And we didn't, you know, we're not looking for minority founders doing something. It just so happens that people who come from outside of the mainstream yeah, have typically the tendency or have a higher opportunity to, uh, or, you know, to see things differently. And if you, if you believe that you need to see things really differently from everybody else in order to have a breakout idea, then by definition, the people who have the highest propensity to see something differently are people who are at the edge somehow, somewhere. Yeah, because they come from somewhere else, because they believe in different things, because they do things very differently, or you know, um, and and that is um, and that's really the uh, you know by because of how we look for investments and how we how we um, also evaluate founders, we we end up investing in a much higher percentage of of, of teams and ideas that are like that. They also have no other chance because minority founders they are massively undervalued by the by the others because yeah. 
I didn't see your people, your family, the last late, late, the last 900 years here building something. So I don't know if you can really build something. You have to show me. And then they might go, okay, I'm going to show you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, and that's really, I mean, um, from, from, yeah, but it's also, it's, you know, if you have this, I think founders are, <laughs> when, I, when I quit my job and told my boss that I'm, I'm starting my own company, and then he said, oh, God, help you. Now you're diseased like the rest of us. <laughs> no, he, said, he figured out decades ago that entrepreneurship is a disease and you become infected by it. And once you have the bug, it's very difficult to shake because you develop this compulsion that you have to fix something that you think is really wrong and broken. Yeah. And, um, and I think that's actually, you know, I, I love people who, who, who look at the world like that. I could never go back to I was always unemployable, but <laughs> I could never go back because once you, you, you breathe the air of freedom, how can you ever go back? Yeah, it's kind of difficult. <laughs> <laughs> and even the risk, but you know, the risk, we were in this illusion of safety. And now maybe now we are waking up all together as a society since March. Uh, because now we are seeing how fragile the whole stable system is and how, how few stable points there are because now everybody, everything is moving. What, yeah. Our picture of what a government is, of what a society is, of basically everything is shifting right now and nobody knows how it will be recombined. So if you think that being employed is safety, well, since March, it doesn't now it, it is showing the fragility of it and the illusion of safety that is in more in most safety moments, right? Yeah. And yeah. the entrepreneurs around us, they they are like unshaken. They are either they they are falling apart and they say, okay, I have to I have to build up the sales pipeline again. That's what I do. Or they are growing like crazy if they are e-commerce, if they are if they have a strong online part, and they are like, oh, I need to build systems now. Okay, I have to find out how to productize, how to how to industrialize, and uh, but they are used to 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 have problems and to solve them. What's what's going on around you? In my portfolio, well, at Angel Invest, we've had a strong focus on sort of um, company digitization as a broad overarching theme. So, you know, because of that, we we are fortunate in that. You know the the portfolio at, at certainly at Angel Invest hasn't really been impacted all that much negatively. There are some companies that are benefiting. Obviously, there are also some companies that have been hmm, should I say that temporarily disrupted, but we don't have any anyone who's been really um, hard hit. Um, before Angel Invest, made a lot of investments in hospitality technology. I mean, that's a totally different story. Yeah? I mean, there are some companies that had ramped up to substantial revenue that have been know very very hearted and but then you know it's so extreme in some cases that there is um there's very little for the founders to do you know they've already reduced costs that they know that the business will be slow for, for for months to come and they've adapted to it um but it's obviously tough when particularly when you've raised quite a bit of capital and then you need to go from a higher level down to a lower level um that, that you know that's really 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 challenging but it, having said that, you know, in, in the last 40 investments or so that I've made, I, I haven't had that situation. So that, that's sort of what, what, what I see in my immediate surroundings.
I'm super excited about your third CEO tip, but first we pass through the segment that we call the award. If you could pick only one person when everybody's zigging, they are zagging. But from your perspective, they are doing the right thing. Who is this person? Oh gosh, this is really this is a really, really difficult question. And I thought about um whom I should promote here in this kind of way. I thought it has to be a portfolio CEO, obviously. Yeah. And um and I thought, how do I pick them? Because they all do something. You know, as, as I explained before, that defies conversion, uh, conventional wisdom in many, many ways. Yeah, but I thought maybe I should pick Jan Julko, you know, from Everphone, largely because I, it's the one company where I've gotten so much um, abuse from other investors that I've invested into it to the extent where you know <laughs> I just sit there and I just take it. Um, and the company has performed incredibly well. It's 7x revenue year over year. It's profitable. It's growing super fast. Nobody believes this is a thing. And, you know, it's not true. It's a super thing. So that's sort of, you know, what I like. Um, it's, it's, um, and, and he's obviously the person that you should also interview because um, he has a different view on his market than the vast majority of other people. And he's right. Yeah. And it's one of these things where people refuse to believe that this can be a thing or that this can be right. And countless, countless, countless people have told me it's not a thing. This can't be right. How can this be true? Um, and um, so therefore, um, that's my nomination. I love it. And I, I, I'm looking forward to having him on the show. This is exactly the kind of people that we, we want to have on the show. When we started Strategy Sprints three years ago, three and a half years ago, people said it will never work. It will never. Simon, what you are doing is a people, people to people thing. It will never work to do it fully remote. You have to spend half a day in Frankfurt uh, on the golf uh, uh, you you have to do your evenings and your dinners and your cocktails, etc. And I was like, yeah, I'm I'm not doing it anymore. And it might tank, but I think it's the right thing to do. And now three three and a half years later, the big tech companies come to us and say, hey, can we join uh, venture? Can we do this together? It's helping growing, and uh, we we want to be part of it. So, but of course, it can go wrong. So and 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 this show is exactly for the people like us and to 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 be together on this journey and to learn from each other. Beautiful CEO tip number three: whom you do business with is the most important thing. Yeah, and it's um, if you so the, you know obviously I have a lot of portfolio companies that go off and raise capital, right? And um, and then they always ask me the most absurd questions about details of the of the investment agreement or something like that. And, you know, it's probably fair to say that 90% plus of all the problems I've ever seen between investors and, and, and founders have been because, you know, um, because of the people, not because of the contract. It is very, very rare that there is a contractual problem somewhere. And if you have a contractual problem and you're in bed with the right people, you have no contractual problems typically. Yeah. So 
um, it's it's whom you do business with on a personal level is so much more it's a hundred times more important than the contract that you do with them now having said that if you know that you're doing business with people who are not a hundred percent trustworthy then the contracts become super important yeah um, but then the question is, there are certain circumstances where it makes a lot of sense to do business with certain people in certain constellations, but you really then have to think through, you have to be really sophisticated how you set yourself up. And for many first-time founders, that's just beyond what they can do. So the um, what most of them can do because it just requires so much forethought and experience. And so therefore, my advice is just pick really good people, due to diligence on them, call other people, ask them about them figure out what kind of reputation people have in the market. And if you find, you know, there is very, very good angel investors and, and seed investors or, or whatever, Series A investors in Europe, and there are many others who are just, I would describe as a bit more challenging. Yeah. And um, pick the right people to work with. It's, you know, getting the people right is so difficult. Um, and, you know, once you have the right kind of people and they're arranged in the right way together to do something together um, and you form it, you, you formalize this correctly, it's, this, is what, this is what enables the magic. It's the basis for the magic. But how exactly then, whether you've got 20% or 25% or, you know, whether the, the, the vesting is four years and one year cliff or five years and one year cliff or five years and no cliff, I mean... I've never seen any of them make any material difference. Yeah, to the extent where all of these contracts that people spend so much money and time negotiating on, I, I just really question the validity of all of it. I, 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 it's, I I'm, I'm, you know, all of these clauses, I'm sure, are somewhere important in some eventuality, but I've never seen a company succeed because some amazingly cool terms have been negotiated in some investment agreement, for example. Yeah, but I've seen companies fail and succeed because of who people went into business with all over and over and over again. And I think it's just so much more important than the details. Again, something where I'm super curious how you do it. My my old boss and mentor in St. Gallen, he would say, you need to, to see this one person drunk. You need to see this one person under stress. Yeah. And the third one that I forgot. So he had a very clear three-step due diligence. Yeah. Now, I, I, I don't drink with people. I just drink for because I like the taste of wine, but never to that level. And, um, uh, and I, I don't hang out so much, especially not before I hire somebody. So yeah. we are a remote team. So we figured out a way to test, like to giving big tasks for a couple of weeks that mm -hmm. are stressful and that are bigger than you can solve and to see how the problem solving process goes yeah. and, and they are related to what they to what they really should do and it happens in the first month but but i'm still really super curious how people find out the the trust trustability of people before you really have experience with them i mean Okay, with people who are fresh, say out of school or university, it's difficult. But with everybody else, you just call somebody who's worked with them before. They will know. Are they a happy drunk? <laughs> your, <laughs> so you want to use one of your criteria. <laughs> or are they an angry drunk, right? I mean, I don't ask that, but it's not a bad question to ask, actually, now that you mention it. <laughs> um, you know, you can ask what is what are the biggest strengths, the biggest weaknesses, 
what have they really failed at? What have they been really successful at? Um, you can ask what kind of interests they have, how they look at the world. You know, you, you will learn more from a 30-minute reference call on somebody than, than you're going to figure out in a month of working with them. Yeah, so that's sort of the, it's definitely something that, that you want to do when you, when you, before you invest into somebody or hire somebody. I mean, it depends on the kind of job that you're obviously hiring for, right? But um, it's, 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 a, it's a hack. So you don't have to find it out yourself. You can just, it's easier to ask other people who have already found it out. Business books that inspired you recently? Very recently. Um, so the book that my portfolio company CEOs find the most useful, I think, is, um, don't say it like that, maybe, is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Valencioni. Um, yeah, it's basically a fable that talks about building and managing high performance teams with a very simple framework and it works for a lot of people. It's really cool. I read it about a year ago for the first time and I, and I sat there and I thought, I can't believe that I've self-taught myself this for 15 years. <laughs> All I had to do was read this book. But <laughs> but then the good news was that I, because I, I had found the book, I can now recommend it to everybody and say, that's how I manage people. I don't need to explain it to you. You just have to read the thing. Yeah, so that's sort of the, it's sort of certainly the, the book that is the most um, implemented, I guess, across the portfolio, or that I recommend that people really like and then actually do something on the basis of that that works for them. Yeah. And, and on a, a personal level book that touched you um four steps to the epiphany by steve blank uh, before that it was probably the pyramid principle by barbara minto yeah. nice um and yeah you said you changed your mind about one thing which thing is it so in the olden days seven months ago <laughs> We, I, I had a rule where I wouldn't invest in distributed teams. Yeah, and I've had to change my mind about it. So just to explain what I mean with this. So before, and I still believe that this is fundamentally true, I think people need to be incredibly tight when you, when you start a startup. So, and, and the best way to do it is to sit in a moldy basement and everybody is absolutely determined to get out of that place. Or, or, or in some 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 poorly insulated garage or something like that, right? So that that is that creates a lot of bond, and 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 I think that's a really functional way to start a startup. And what I've seen over and over again is these um, semi-distributed teams or distributed teams, I would I would call them, right? So we have some people sit in an office, and then you have a whole bunch of people who sit somewhere else, and it's just all over the place, and that just doesn't work. Um, you, you can't develop this bond. You you, um, you have people who feel like second-class citizens because the two people who sit in the room together, they make all the decisions, and then the other person or the, the, the other two people, they're like somewhere separate, and, and, and or even worse, it's two people here in one room and two people in the other room. And then there's like cliques and, you know, and then the whole thing, just you, you cannot develop this bond. So I've screened out all companies that had this configuration because I think it's very, very difficult to start a startup like that. Now, what I'm seeing now is a lot more teams that have a complete remote first attitude. Yeah. And I mean, jury is out whether that results in um, 
you know, really functional teams, but I think it can, it can probably work. Yeah. So now I look for teams that either have an office first culture or an office only culture, I should say. Yeah. Um, all in one office, or it's basically a complete remote first approach where literally all meetings are online, all decisions are made online. And even when you happen to sit in the same office with some people, it's basically a complete remote first approach. Or, but the hybrid thing, and in particular, when somebody says, I want to have an office first culture, I want to have a remote first culture, okay, that, that I think leads to serious complications and I still don't want that. So that's sort of what I changed my mind about in the last six months um, in terms of what, I, what I'm really looking at. I think differently or more nuanced right now than I have before. Yeah, the hybrid thing, uh, I, I am since years, years telling everybody that the hybrid thing is broken. Like, yeah. how can you have a meeting with two people sitting there and four people sitting there? It cannot, as you say, you have subgroups. Yeah. And then you would need two hours just to, to work through the group dynamic that is going on. Yeah. And you will have that in the decision. So you will have bad decisions or very long meetings. And both is not super functional. So uh, it's, it's really best to go either fully remote, but then you, you need a daily huddle. You need clear action tasks in your project management system. You go through it every day. And every, every minute, basically, you communicate around the tasks in the task, wherever the task is in the project management system. Then you have a great communication. But now you have so many more tools for that than you used to have 10 years ago or so, right? So you have the, I mean, we're now communicating via video, you know, it's streaming. The picture seems to be extremely clear. I mean, 10, 50, or 20 years ago, this would have been impossible. Absolutely. Uh, certainly in Europe or, or North America. So um, I, I think the technology has improved to such an extent that we can actually do it like that now. Yeah. Um, and we can run remote first companies in that kind of way. And the absurd thing is my investment company is a remote first company. There's two of us. I'm in Berlin. My partner, Oliver, is in Frankfurt. Um, he's part-time. I'm full-time. Yeah. Everything we do or we did from day one has been in the cloud or tire. We have got no paper anywhere in the company, um, apart from some contracts, which the German government is forcing us to hold in paper. But, you know, um, apart from that, everything is everything is digital. Everything has been in, in Zoom or on WhatsApp um, or similar, and everything is stored in the cloud. And all of our communication works like that, and all of our accounting and bookkeeping, everything is like that. Yeah, and that works. Um, but um, if if I had said, oh, you know, I have an office here, and I'll do everything in my office, then Oliver, why don't you come and visit me once every two weeks, and then we sit down and then we talk. That would have been a completely dysfunctional approach to it. Yeah, so cool. And and there are still people. I had a mastermind last week with senior, absolutely senior consultants of European, the biggest companies in Europe are being consulted by these ten people that are in that mastermind. Yeah. And and we were talking, hey, how do you do the meetings and the consulting, etc. And half of them said, yeah, this hybrid thing is not working, but. The client still wants it, we still do it because one is in Amsterdam, but everybody else is in Paris. So the one Amsterdam uh, participant will be in it. And I'm like, you're still you're still repeating this dysfunctional pattern. Yeah. And, uh, when will you ever let go? So yeah, so absolutely. Either everybody in one room or everybody on his computer, and that's perfect. 
and it's so simple. You can run a full company from your phone right now, a global company. We we communicate in Slack every every hour. I have so much more communication than when I was in one office in St. Gallen with 300 of us. I never talked to 300 in one day. But now we are 34 and I talk everybody every day, every hour to all 34. And not about chit chat, about really the one task that we are moving forward because I talk there where the work is and not uh, there where I usually am, am going to just take a coffee and I don't even want to talk when I'm taking a coffee. The, the funny thing is it leads to some in interesting situations where, I mean, I, I have never met most of the founders I've invested in. <laughs> but it, it gets to the point where now I have quite a few of them sitting in Berlin. <laughs> I've never met them. So, <laughs> so now that they've raised follow-on rounds, I actually need to go to their offices and actually have a, have a drink with them or something to, you know, at least have minimum social contact, I guess, <laughs> with some of the people that I'm in business with. So it's, you know, it's not that I don't enjoy social contact. It's just been made really difficult. I mean, even before COVID, we, we, we made the investment decisions here, you know, via Zoom. But um, obviously, there's been far less social contact over the last six months. And uh, yeah, that, that, it's not ideal. You know, I, I obviously like to meet people. Um, it's just right now, it's just been made very, very difficult. Absolutely. So Jens, where can people stick around and uh, read and watch more of you? Um, well, you mean outside of your show? Yeah, uh, side, on the real side. I um, have kept a relatively low profile over the last year or two, um, largely because I've been so busy with my work. I plan to change that in, in due course. I spend time on LinkedIn quite a bit every day. Um, and talk to people there. So if you see me doing a lot more, it will definitely be on LinkedIn. Um, and then, you know, some of that will trickle over onto Twitter. Um, I'm highly contactable. My email address is on the Angel Invest website, you know, or you can connect to me on LinkedIn. If you want to talk to me, I respond to it. Almost every message that, get, I mean, sometimes somebody slips through the net, but I, I try to respond to every message that, that somebody sends me. And let's summarize again the criteria. So who should pick up the phone, the email, the LinkedIn, and, uh, and message you? It's people who have a big idea, very different, industry agnostic. How mature should the product be? It doesn't matter. I mean, I'm, I'm just looking for super ambitious teams that are doing something nobody else is doing. And maybe that's already working a little bit. All right. Thank you so much, Jens, for being on the show. And come back soon. Thank you. We all know that working in sprints is better, but how do we know what we should work on? You're in luck because we have a 15 minute exercise that will give you complete clarity on where to take your project next. Go to strategysprints.com sales to complete our short exercise and meet one-on-one -on -one with an expert sprint coach to identify your number one bottleneck. Hey everyone, I hope you enjoyed that episode of The Strategy Show. Make sure to like this video below and subscribe so that you can stay up to date with every episode of The Strategy Show. Get daily CEO tips from CEOs for CEOs.